You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I hope wherever you are in the world and whatever you might be doing, you are doing very well. You're about to listen to a discussion with one of the very best postmodern guitarists around. His name is Brandon Seabrook, and I reached out to him to have a chat because I'm so impressed with his album, Brandon Seabrook's Needle Driver. Let's have a listen to what Brandon has to say. Here we go. Hey, mate, how are you? Mate, I'm, I'm plugging away. It's uh, it's 10 a.m. in the morning, mate, but nothing, a bit of black coffee doesn't help and resolve. Oh, yeah, right, it's 10 a.m. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking to myself, I was like, oh, it's 15 hours. I was like, oh, yeah, that's set. That's, that's like right now. <laughs> I, knew, <laughs> I knew we were going to talk. I knew, uh, here, do you want to do the video or do you just do the regular talk? You... I'd just do the regular talk. Yeah, I'd love, I'd yeah, love to yeah. do I'd love to do video, mate, but the truth is people don't bloody watch them, they, whereas they do listen to the podcasts. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, video. Who wants to watch more, more stuff? Yeah, I think it's just content overload. So podcasts people put on in the background and they go about their daily lives or, you know, when they're traveling to and from their jobs or whatever it might be. You know, I've been – I recently realized that a couple of podcasts that I listen to are from Australia. Cool. Uh, Who is it? Who do you listen to? I listen to this one called The Vinyl Guide. Mm-hmm. I've, heard heard I've heard of it. I've heard of it. I haven't listened just, to it though. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, uh, 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 yeah. And then there's another. There's another music one that I, I just listened to recently from Australia. It was, it's funny. I was like, oh, it took me a, a minute to realize where where they're from. I never think about where a podcast is from. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, look, there's a lot of podcasts out there. I mean, look, it's. It's it's one of those things where there's so much content out there for people to consume that it's. I it's know, like, Jesus. How do you cut through? It's like with your awesome music. How the hell do you cut through and obtain, uh, obtain just thirty seconds of somebody's time? You know. I don't. I know. How do you do? Do you track your listenership and how do you how do you keep track of it? Is there I, a way? Yeah, there is. I use a. So I'm pretty fortunate in that I've got a radio show as well. So I've already got a. Uh, you know, I've already got a customized audience as well because they listen to the independent nice. radio station anyway. But I've got a platform called Wooshka, uh, which is um, which which tells me on my podcast what city and obviously what country people are going to be people listen to my podcast from. Oh, nice. And that's how I know, mate. Over a third of my audience is North American. Wow! Yeah, yeah. Which is which is part of the reason that I reached out to you, mate. Because um, oh, wow. you know we love guitar in North North America. Loves guitar. Yes, <laughs> I know. And, and look, we do down here yeah. too. Yeah, I've I've been to New York actually. I, I bought a guitar from Mandolin Brothers over in Staten Island. Oh, nice, nice. Oh, beautiful play. Oh my god. You know, so I think when I was in there. Um, the bloke who owns it was telling me that Vernon Reed was in there at the same time, but I didn't get a chance to catch up with him because I, I actually interviewed Will Calhoun from. Um... I saw that on your list. I, that's so cool. Actually, yeah. you know, the Vinyl Guide. I listened to a podcast with Vernon Reed. On the, they didn't end up talking about music or guitar at all. He was just talking about some social theories and stuff. But yeah, he's a. He seems like a really nice. Really nice guy. Yeah, right. well, yeah, he, well, Will Calhoun was a, was a cool guy as well. You know, is, I mean, he, he was, is he cool? I got to listen to that one you did. Yeah, well, look, it was you know what? A lot of the interviews I get, they come through major labels or through big management companies and the like. So you get your fifteen minutes and you get introduced. Yeah, to how the does artist. that work? You don't you don't have much time, right? Yeah, you get fuck all time. Excuse my language, and and you just you really just have to be on point and sort of go as soon as someone's as soon as the interview subject's finished answering a question, you jump onto the next one because you want to make the content relevant for the listener. Exactly, I see. Yeah, Whereas yeah, yeah. I, I, 
Like I much yeah. prefer these ones because it's more free form. We're able to talk about whatever we want to talk about. Um, right. You know, because sometimes you've got record company people listening in the background, and I've never had anybody interrupt me except to say that the interview needs to sort of wind up because the next person's waiting. Oh right, right. Because you do press. You do when people are rolling out the press. You uh... yeah, spot on. That's the majority of what I do actually. You get, do. You, you get contact. You get contacted by people. I mean, did you find out? Do you know Dave from from? Uh, yeah, he, Dave he sent Hunter? me. Yeah, so I'm I'm on his list, and I was going through, and I I do take the time to listen to the things that he sent he sent through. I might, you know, I don't That's know whether people do that, but I like to do it because I want to give artists the opportunity. And I heard your stuff, man, and I was blown away. So wow, thanks. Yeah, I love. I, there's just not a, not not a lot of people doing what you do that I get access to. So when I found it, I was like, "Oh, I'm going to reach out to him now and see if you're available for a chat." Sure, man. I, I, you got me at a good time. I'm. I could chat for right now for like probably a, a couple of days straight, but we will. We <laughs> so you know, I did see. I did listen to. I listened to the first one on. Uh, you did a really good job with it. Was it the guy from Corrosion of Conformity? Oh yeah, that was a tough one actually. Yeah, he, he was wild. He was. You did. I was like, because I always, I'm always fascinated with podcast. You know, people who do interviews and how they deal with personalities, whether they're <laughs> huge egos or just like crazy people. But he was really crazy. He, yeah. that you did a good job, man. That sounded hard. No, thank you, mate. Yeah, that was. I think he's got some substance issues. That's out. That's in the public domain. That one there. Oh, that, okay. That was yeah, actually yeah. our second or third attempt at trying to get him as well. Oh, um, okay. So he's a tremendous drummer, mate. But I've seen. Oh my god! Yeah, what a band! What a what a band! I mean. Oh yeah, I mean they're, they're they're originators, aren't they? I mean they should be actually a lot bigger than what they are, really. Yeah, I always yeah I always thought that too. I, you know the um, the other one that was quite tough. If you want to have a listen to it, is the one with Rex yeah. from Pantera. Oh, I didn't see that one, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I, yeah. I could, I could imagine. He wasn't. Look, I've done almost two hundred interviews at this point through the year, so of course the year is winding up, so there's not many more to go. But um, yeah, I, yeah, I'd say he'd be my most challenging interview subject, mainly because um, oh, I think he was, he was quite angry when when he got on the phone to me, and he oh. he started off by having a go at me about something. I can't remember what it was, and of course I edited oh, it out. I mean, I've never oh. met him before in my life, but he just, he started off saying, he started off, I misunderstood a joke that he made, I think, in, in, in other words, I didn't laugh at a joke that he made. Oh, God. And I got off onto the wrong foot that way, and I edited it out. Once it got going, it was fine, but, okay, yeah. but it was, one, I'm a bass player, you see, and um, I don't have heroes in the classical sense, if you understand what I mean. But sure, sure. I've got people that I've listened to rather a lot of, and he's one of them, so I was really looking forward to the chat, and... I felt like I was a passenger in that discussion as opposed to someone conducting the interview, which is okay. Right. That happens. <laughs> but that's that was it. But no, thank you for your kind words about the one with Reed, actually. Yeah, I, it was... It was Reed, yeah, Reed, yeah. And I saw there was one on Richie Cotson. A lot of great, a lot of great... A lot of people I had never uh, never heard of. And, you know, I got you in my list. Of my, my my podcast thing on my phone is just exploding, but you're, you're in there now. It's like I... Sweet. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, was, no worries. Maybe, I go through phases of different what different kinds of podcasts and there's so I mean yeah there's um there is there are just yeah there's just so much out there I mean I I, I tend to you know Joe Rogan I listen to his podcast because oh yeah um, who is that I'll write that down who is that he's um he's an MMA announcer I think I think that's what he does and he's also a bit of a health and fitness guru but he's quite an intellect so he gets some very interesting people on his podcast like people who talk about quantum physics and that sort of thing. Okay. Who's it? What's his name? Joe. Joe Rogan. 
You know who else is kind of like that, which you you might not you might not realize at first. And I I is Russell Brand, that English comedian. Oh, yeah. He has one called Under the Skin or something, and he has the most insane guests on. Like, and I really thought that he was just kind of like an, you know, pretty like a shallow kind of funny but guy, you know, kind of a tabloid type of guy. But man, he's really smart. I was, I was, yeah, I was impressed. Full on, yeah, he's pretty full on. He's pretty full on. I mean, I was, I was just shocked. You never know. Yeah, you, yeah. I was surprised. Yeah, he he tours here quite a bit in Australia, quite a bit. Um, and uh, so is he fu- he's really funny too. I mean, he sounds insane. I, I don't. I only knew him from like you know the from you know Us Magazine or something. You know, dating people. Katy Perry. Yeah, I mean that's where Katie I think most Perry, people know him. That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> that was a strange matchup, you know. But um, yeah, he, he, a lot of people I think know him from that. Um, he was in a few movies, or I think he was in a movie with Tom Cruise. He's done a few things. Right, he's in some movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's done a few Amazing. things, but uh, but yeah, I'm just trying to think. I listened to just because most of most of the interviews I get are with hard rock and heavy metal bands. Um, yeah, great. You know, the, in the broader sense, so um, I listened to Jamie Jaster from Hatebreed, uh, his podcast. He's got a very he's got an excellent interview technique, actually. So I take okay, a bit who, of, what's his name again? Jamie Jaster. Okay, I know that band. Yeah, Hatebreed, good band. Um, and I've seen them before. I've seen them live. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, Great yeah. Band. And uh, Jamie's podcast, he gets a lot of the, the probably the biggest names in hard rock and heavy metal in 2017, almost 2018 okay. on okay. his okay. thing. And I listen to a lot of, um, I'm fascinated by the paranormal and by, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, by the way, so no, oh, yeah. no, no yeah. weird stuff. But I just like listening to people talk about their theories around, um, so for example, I interviewed a bloke from the Australian Paranormal Society that was fascinating and the last in Melbourne who does exorcisms. Wow. So I try to get into a bit of that too, because it's just interesting, mate. It's, you know, a lot of people. I love it. There's a radio, there's a really famous radio show here in the States called Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. He's kind of like the... They're like the they've been doing it forever and it's all about conspiracy theories and paranormal activity and you know they do have they do have their a, a podcast but you but here we go of course they have it set up their their website is so archaic but you and you have to like you know buy all the episodes so I, I I stream them on YouTube and they're pretty pretty incredible yeah coast to coast coast to coast I've heard of it yeah I certainly heard yeah, of it yeah I'll have to get onto it mostly known here i don't know how much out in other parts of the world but it's on really late at night so you can catch it on on the air as a radio show and it's just on at it's on from midnight or it's on from midnight to 4 a.m and it's just they they do all that you know conspiracy theories but a lot of ufos paranormal but I, so I like that too. So I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to listen to that one. yeah that yeah and i and i interviewed um the guys yes yeah, who... that on your site yeah, it is. Yeah, you can easily find it. Yeah, just go back to the last um, last few weeks, and there'll be one. There'll be that one there, and the other fascinating one that I interview subject that I had on was um, the the team that look after the Satanic Temple in New Zealand. Um, oh wow! That completely demystified what those guys do. I mean, you know, the old thing about being devil worship is they're not that at all. They just use him as a figurehead, and then they just have these other follow this other ideology about the way they want to lead their life, but they were, they were excellent to chat to. I couldn't get anybody from here, actually, in Australia, so I had to go to New Zealand oh. to find somebody to chat to about it, and they were more than welcoming. Oh, that's great, man. You must be, wow, wow. So 
So uh, your podcast, I mean, you're pretty busy with this. Yeah, I, I quit my job about six months ago. I had a career at a company called Telstra, which is a telecommunications company similar to Sprint. Um, uh-huh. And I was an account executive there. I, I live in a state here called Queensland, which is like um, like Hawaii. Go across between Hawaii and Arizona, if you like. Damn. Because our co- well, our coastal areas are like Hawaii, but once you go about 200 kilometres inland, it's like the rest of bloody Australia. It's all desert and nothingness. Um, yeah, yeah. So I was used to travelling up and down the coast between here and a town called Cairns, which is the Great Barrier Reef, and I did that for a long time, mate, and I just got burnt out, to be honest with you. And I'm oh, just- yeah. You get burnt out. You know what it's like when you work hard, mate. You just And I've got a family, Traveling. two kids. and yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm a musician, and I just wanted yeah. to do something with music. So I I just said, bugger it. I'm going to give this a go for about six to 12 months, and I'm smack bang in the middle of it. <laughs> amazing. That's amazing. You know, the next step for me, mate, is probably to try to get into management or promotions and see how I can bring out the Brandon Seabrooks of the world to Australia. Oh yeah, man, we're ready to come. I mean, we're, we're Australia. I've never been. I I have some friends who have been. You know, I have some friends who from New York who went to play one show there. Uh, so they were gone for like three days, and it was just insane. They went. They. I mean, because often in like our world, you know, it's like often you just you go for one show to you you know, or one or two shows with a lot of traveling in between. But Australia is insane to go for one show. I think, um, but I think, they, they, yeah, I think the way to look at Australia. I talk to a lot of, obviously, most of the people I talk yeah, to. We don't, from, know, I don't even know what to think of. It. I don't even know what to think. Like, what is Australia? Like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. how would you get? Like, how do you go? I mean, I know Melbourne and you know Sydney, but like, what? <laughs> yeah, Melbourne and Sydney in particular is just like every other bloody city in the world. To be honest with you, I wouldn't bother with Sydney. Um, oh, okay. You know, I look. I mean, don't. I mean, someone from Sydney might get offended if I say that. But you know, I was born in Sydney, by the way. So, but it's um, uh-huh. Sydney's just a big city. You know, it's five million yeah, people yeah. there or something like that. It's got all the usual pressures and stresses of a global city. You know, right. um, but if you, once you get out of Sydney, um, it's a, as Australia's Australia. You know, you hit what I, I don't know how else going to say it. Real Australia, where you meet real people sure. just going about their daily lives. You know, in Sydney, you get it's it's probably no different to being in New Jersey, really, to be quite honest with you. And except that the scenery sure, is sure. a lot different. You know, people are working away in their bloody nine to five job to pay off their Mercedes Benz and their bullshit Audis and all the rest of it. Right, right, right. You know, um, and and they've got their massive mortgages on their bullshit houses because they they want to try to keep up with the Joneses. But once you get out of that, especially up here in Queensland, mate, where we're more about lifestyle. Oh, I know, like that. You know, we're more about um, having that balance, not mm. not living to work, but working to live, so to speak. Yeah, you know, my wife is really she she's she's Peruvian and she she stands by that. She and, and here in New York, we deal. She's in the film industry and 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 yeah, a lot of our friends who try to have we had to have that balance because a lot of our friends don't have it. You know, it's like. Oh, it's horrendous. It's yeah, it's um. You know how it is. Yeah. So in Queensland, I, yeah, I saw that on your Skype thing. Queensland, never heard of it. I, I mean, but I don't know anything about Australia, so I. I think you'd. I think you'd. You'd have an audience here, mate. It just depends on if you could get over. That's all. I mean, that's. that's... I know, right. That's a tough thing. Getting getting there somehow. Yeah. I look. I. I'm. There's been an issue here in the last week or so. One of the premier. You know, when I say underground, underground. You know, the Wolves in the Throne Room and bands like that. Sleep. Um, Chelsea Wolf were about to come out through one of the major underground touring companies here in Australia, but the guy uh-huh. just got done on sexual harassment. Oh my god! So they've all pulled, they've all pulled their tours, right? 
So I've okay. reached out to them and I said, look, I've actually got the time to try to probably help you guys get this thing back up off the ground. I mean, I'm fairly commercially minded given my background in a corporation. Like sure, Telstra. sure, sure. So I've, I've reached out to them, mate, but I think they're just in a world of pain at the moment. So they don't know what the hell's going on. But I think eventually, mate, I've got to reach out to someone like yourself and go, look, how, the, how, do, how are we going to do this? I've certainly got the yeah, contacts with the do. venues. Um, let's just see yeah. if we can come to an arrangement that's suitable for, for you guys, mate, given you're going to be coming all the way over here, you know? Yeah, we could someday figure it out, play, play some gigs around. Yeah, I mean, but it, even even talking about it with with you from there makes it seem like, oh, okay, well, yeah. <laughs> but before, <laughs> because I know there, there are some jazz festivals there that my uh, some of my friends have gone to play. Uh, I don't remember what they are, but. There's a lot of jazz is very big here, mate, actually. Yeah, there's yeah. a once you get into the mate, there's actually in Brisbane here, uh, our Brisbane, major city. Yeah. Here, there's a jazz club here, so you find in just about every major city, major major regional town as well, there's a jazz club. Right, right. You know that, and and so you, you get that that core audience that would that are going to come to a gig anyway. It just depends on who's on. Sure, sure, sure. You know, so I think that might be one way to approach it. But yeah, I'm I'm just I can't remember the name. You're just of getting into it. You just you, yeah. Yeah, I I was talking to, do you know the band Deicide and um yeah yeah oh yeah from Florida yeah from Florida yeah oh yeah, yeah. legendary yeah yeah I talked to Ralph Santola who's been in a ton of bands like Ice Earth and the like and he's an excellent guitarist and excellent yeah the other thing that's quite that's available is to do clinics yeah sure sure that's a big thing right mm. yeah. Yeah. Of course. So I'd love to bring I've done that. Oh, you've done a few of them? Master classes, I guess. I, I call them usually. Yeah, same thing. Clinic. Master class. Yeah, I've done them at colleges a lot, you know, uh, on tour, even in the United States, like in the Midwest. I'll do one or uh, do a group, sometimes a group master class, you know, with the band or just a solo, a solo thing. Yeah, sure. Even here, even here. Uh, it's a good way to tour yeah or so, to, to help to help things so you're in new york city is that right yeah yeah new york city yeah cool yeah i love uh, it there actually i've been to be i stayed there for two weeks in 2012 oh yeah yeah i mean it's insane it's great uh yeah but i mean even yeah getting a tour together in the states can be hard sometimes too i mean obviously easier than you know traveling outside of the states but any if you have master classes or or clinics and all that stuff helps mm, yeah you know the, the drummer in my band allison is actually when she tours her own bands that are a little bit more jazz than what we do mm -hmm. but she has like a uh i think it's a zildjian thing sponsorship and they they promote you know they promote uh classes for her every, every on all everywhere she goes they they encourage her to do it and they help her out cool. and so she that's a part of her touring is the clinic you know yeah 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 no it's it's definitely a way to go i mean i think you've just got to be versatile these days and, and give i like when i talk to um we're talking to a lot of artists i've noticed the ones that are uh, just below the surface but are still quite successful give people a lot of opportunity to support them so whether it be yeah. through, through merch or through clinics or albums or what have you sure. there's about five or six different ways people can actually pay money to support the artist sure 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 yeah yeah you know so and people like clinics clinics are fun you know like you get a chance to play and talk and stuff it's more it's more personal you know i think no agreed mate agreed. I, th I think people enjoy that just as much as yeah or more maybe than the, than well, the show yeah I, I don't know well, you know i agree with you because I, th I think that it, it's the show 
I think people are a bit YouTubed out from rock shows or live shows. You know what I mean? So yeah, actually yeah. getting that one-on-one -on -one contact with somebody through a clinic or through a demonstration is a way of feeling as though you can connect with the artist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I remember going to clinics when I was younger, and I, I would even go to – I mean, I would I would even – like if the guy from Deicide was doing a clinic, I would go to that. <laughs> <I would Yeah. laughs> go. Well, mate, watch your space then because um, he wants to come out. I've just um, – it's just, man, you you just got to get the big problem these days, mate. As you know, as you well know, mate, is cutting through all the noise on the internet and promoting something appropriately. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly right. Because I was talking to who was I talking? David Vincent, who was in Morbid Angel. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, and I mean, he toured with his ex-wife's band, who called Genie Tortures. They toured Australia um, years back, but of course, nobody knew oh. about it because oh. <laughs> it wasn't promoted properly. So did anybody did you did anybody go to the shows or oh probably a handful of people but I guess the yeah. point being is that if you don't know that a show's on because it you know I mean I know Facebook has all its target marketing and all the rest of it my God but you're doing it with everybody else so look yeah right. I don't get me wrong I'm not complaining about it I'm just sort of saying God I'm I'm sort of thinking about out trying to get outside of the box about how you can how you can um, reach an audience that's going to be interested in going to these sorts of things because I mean I see the posts on Facebook. Oh my God! I didn't realize you toured. I mean, Australia's a long way to come for an artist, right? So it's like, yeah, sure, you're constantly seeing that stuff. I didn't realize you played here, or when did you play, or what have you? Yeah, you know? yeah. And you're not going to come back sometimes ever to Australia, right? 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 Australia is a for a lot of people a one, yeah, one or two time thing in your life, I guess, or once or, ne or never. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. But mate, we better talk about you because yeah. um, okay, sure, yeah. You know, I read, of course, that, mate, you are a critically acclaimed New York-based uh, guitarist <laughs> and, and banjo player. And, well, you know, you can be modest, mate, but you were named by Village Voices, New York City's best guitarist, which is a heck well, of an I'm achievement. Still, I'm still riding on that, even though it was like five years ago. But, you know, I'll, uh, I'll keep saying that for a while. Maybe at 10 years, it's too long. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, congratulations on it anyway. Belated congratulations on achieving okay, the award thanks. anyway. Um, but, you know, the, the thing that drew me to you is the feature of your playing, which is your improvisation and what the layperson yeah. may term avant-garde compositions. So sure. um, I was compelled to reach out to David when I heard the album Needle Driver, as I'm a big fan yeah. of electric jazz guitar performances, so guys like Steve Kahn. Um, sure. Your album Needle Driver, mate, it's a heck of an EP. There are so many layers. There's so much depth. The instruments... Yeah. Mate, they do sound as if they're going in separate directions at times, but it all feels so cohesive at the same time. So... Mate, what inspired you to create the EP? Well, the EP just came out of actually playing with Allison and Johnny. Uh, we got together for one show in New York called at the Alternative Guitar Festival like four four years ago. And we threw together three songs really quickly, and it was a great show. And often in New York, you say, oh, that was so fun. Let's keep doing it. And you never get to – you never do it again. Things come up. But we did get to do it again, and – yeah, it's just was just writing for those guys in mind, you know. Uh, I know they're playing really well, and I know what they could do, and they like to do what I like to do, and we all like really dense, dense, uh, dense, dense music that takes a lot of time to to practice and put together. I mean, it took us probably three years to put that put that album together and well, learn it really well enough to record it. You know, uh, we like angular, dense. Sometimes humor. <laughs> Sometimes there's some humor <laughs> in there. Noise. Uh, 
you know, physically challenging, all those things kind of go into it. Yep. Uh, a lot of, some of the riffs came out of improvising and we would say, what is that? And we, you know, we'd try to grab things from tapes and stuff. So it started really or, pretty organic. That's kind of a corny, I guess, word to use, but, uh, it just came, it was just, we just fit together the right way. I don't know if we, I would have done it with anybody. You know, I had asked other players in New York to do that particular gig, mm-hmm. people that were, much busier and it was a one-time thing and they wanted me to get some big names and I tried to reach out to people but I'm really glad that 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 didn't work because I don't think this band would exist if we didn't do that first show that was you know I don't know maybe that was too long of an answer no that's a wonderful answer um you said something in there that it it took you a couple of years to to get together or to compose if you like and mate what I can hear mate I can hear a hundreds of hours of compositional rehearsal across the cuts Oh, and, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it actually brought to mind, now I'm a musician, as I, as I shared earlier. So sure. Keith Richards said something a long time ago, and I totally believe in this, is, and he said this, he said, you don't get to be loose until you're very tight. And I can hear that. On, and, you know, I'll tell you, it's true. We're, we just played a few shows to, for the album release, and I think we're just figuring out how to play this stuff now. I <laughs> mean, we recorded yeah. the album like a year and a half or two years ago, and it it just it's never ending the the tightness that, that that enables us to be loose i mean we've been doing new things with the material and also we've only had these five songs that we've been playing for a long time we're starting to work on some new ones but in that that limit of the material you know we don't have that many that much material but we've just stretched it and learned it and got so tight on it and are now yeah it's true i i totally believe it and it's really yeah yeah so it's amazing. I mean, so was it a case of you guys just getting into a rehearsal room somewhere and you gave them a rough sketch of what the song sounded like and you just went for it? And, is that yeah, right? I would make. Yeah, I would make some demos and send it to them, and then Johnny DeBlaze and I, the bass player, would get together and sort of work out the riffs in the sections, and then we'd bring it into Allison because Allison is a very busy, as you may know, very very mm-hmm. in demand busy musician well so is john i mean we just we needed to make sure we utilized our hundreds of hours in the right way because uh yeah so we would we would just get together the two of us work out the riffs bring it into allison and we work it out together and we'd come up with new sections together but i'd say i wrote like 90 percent of it and then you know those guys would have arrangement ideas and and we put it together as a band i mean we yeah we just hundred yeah a lot of hours hmm Sorry, I'm getting off track there. I guess, but it, no, that's a good answer, mate. No, no wrong answers, mate. You just, you just, yeah, yeah, no, no wrong, <laughs> wrong notes, no wrong answers. <laughs> so, um, look, Needle Driver was recorded, mixed, and mastered by uh, yes. legendary engineer Martin Bc, who um, people will be probably most familiar with his work with Sonic Youth, I think, but I knew him through Swans, actually. Um, yeah. So it's a very clear production, and I'm so glad that you sought the collaboration of someone who knew what they were doing with the EP cuts, as it would have been cruel and lesser hands, mate. So tell us about working with Martin. Martin. Well, I know Martin lives in the same. He's right in my neighborhood, like four blocks away, and I had worked at his studio on other people's albums over the years, you know, uh, as a side man or a collaborator and an amazing engineer. And he, you know, he doesn't have amazing gear i mean he has pro tools from like eight years ago or something but what he 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 does have an amazing board but he his room is incredible if you've ever if you ever come to town i'll take you over there and his studio is this cavernous uh basement 
mm. in the old can factory in Brooklyn. And, and he just uses his, his rooms in microphones. Just, he really knows his rooms really well. And, and he just, he has it. He just, he's brilliant with this kind of music, you know, he just knows how to capture it. And he has, uh, you know, we just listen to the playbacks really loud, and mm. it's just—I don't know. Yeah, he's just the—he was just the right person to do it. I knew that. I and I, mean, I do my other records with other people. I've done a lot of records other places too. That, but just something about—I knew that it wouldn't be too clean, but he would get the ideas uh, across the way I was hearing them. You know, a yeah. little bit, a little bit uh, raw, but still, you can hear the cohesive in tight aspects of it but yeah it's just a blast i recommend it recommend it to anybody you know and uh and I, I just like his philosophy on recording you know it's just uh yeah yeah it's just it was fun i mean yeah he's worked with so many bands and, and he's really easy to work with and he's just a really a really nice fun guy and i <laughs> that's such yeah. a corny answer a no, really it's... nice fun guy but it's such right. an important yeah. point because if if you don't feel comfortable with the person who's recording you mate it can make for a very difficult oh, experience oh god yeah i you know with him i could ne he was never going to say you know oh worry about how distorted that amp is or maybe there's too much reverb on that or are you sure you want this part are you sure you want to do another take are you sure you want to double this guitar you know you never have to worry about that mm. he's there to just aid the process and he had ideas in the mix like you might want to do this but there was never a, he just as a great engineer just kind of lets it roll if you if you asked him something he would give you his his uh idea on it like you you ask him like did that sound good and he'd say yeah that was good or try it again but he would never never get involved with that unless you asked which which to me is a great a sign of a great engineer because I've, I've been in a lot of recordings where the engineers start to become the producer and mm, yeah and and my music's a little extreme, and I and I like to, to you know, sometimes. Although this album has less overdubs than other albums that I've done, uh, I still you know I wanted to really make some some parts dense with, in, you know I want to make this sound really bright and this and you know he would never he would say great. Hmm. Or one time he said, "Well, that's already really bright. Are you sure?" And then at that point, I always kind of listen to the engineer. That's a point I think yeah. you should listen. Um, that's a really that's a crucial point you make because if an engineer yeah. keeps on trying to act as a producer, you're eventually going to tune out to what they're saying. But if they only say yeah, things occasionally, yeah. you think, "Hang on a sec, there's going to be some gold in that. I need to listen." I know. I, yeah, he's like, "Well, that guitar is already really bright." I said, "I said to my yeah, I said, or you know, I think you don't want to turn the the bass up there. It's already pretty loud, or you know." And I and I would I would I always stop when engineers say that and. Or in the mastering, you know, he said, I don't really master, but I can help. And he, you know, and I would, we would talk about mastering and I'd ask for things. And so, yeah, I always listen to the engineer at that point. When it, anything to do with, you know, post-production or anything, I, I tend to make sure I listen, even though maybe we won't go through with it. I, I yeah. always, yeah. Yeah, not cool. Hey, different question I for you. To anybody, yeah. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> this is yeah. a plug for C-Studio. <laughs> No, sweet. Well, uh, yeah, anybody listening, um, yeah, look him up because he's the man. And um, yes. look, as I say, mate, the the, the kind of um, songs that you've produced on the EP, the album or the EP cuts, 
in lesser hands, mate, you wouldn't be able to hear so much of the detail. And it's so multi-layered what, what you're doing. Yeah. There's more going on in 15 seconds of your music <laughs> there is in most albums, you know, half an hour albums or EPs out there, mate. So it needed somebody with a deft hand to be able to bring a lot of that sparkle to life. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, it, it, it could have gotten lost in the cacophony or just the, just actually, yeah, being able to take that music in as an engineer is really like being able to listen to that and not get overwhelmed or lose, lose control. I mean, yeah, you can't really play anything for him. That's gonna, gonna throw him off in that sense. You know, mm -hmm. uh, there was no way he was going to be overwhelmed by the changes and it's, it's, you know, it's all over the place. Yeah, and that's like, important. Yeah, 20 yes. seconds later, it's at a different dynamic and 10 seconds after that, you really need to hear the hi hat and then you need to really, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. He got what you guys were trying to achieve. We did. And yeah. And it's, it's true. The engineer is crucial. I, there's not that many engineers. Actually, there's so many engineers in New York, but there are only a couple that I really, that I would actually bring my own stuff to. Yeah, no, that's, that's an important point there. And, um, Hey, I, I read an interview with you in 2014 on oh. Vice Noisy's website. Oh, and, no. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, look, with all due respect to the interviewer, I thought they were fairly pedestrian questions, and, and one of the oh, yeah. questions was fairly banal. It was a question that you were asked about the difference between banjo and six-string guitar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I thought your response was classic, actually. this You know, you said... There are 323 ways to play yeah. D flat major seven flat five on the guitar and four ways to play it on the banjo. Yeah. You know, they both get you into a constellation of relationship problems. Music is complicated. Oh God, that was, uh, I should, yeah, that was kind of funny. Maybe I was, <laughs> that's, I was reading that's a lot a... of poetry at that time or something. I was like, yeah, that was, I love that answer. Mate. I meant relationship problems with other musicians. I didn't mean, I meant, uh, you know, with other, other with, with 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 the press musicians like that kind of thing yeah. but yeah yeah oh well, I, I i really like that um that that one line there music is complicated because mate yeah it, it bloody well is look i play it in cover well, bands yeah. mate and geez i mean we were trying to learn and this is very different from the stuff you're doing but the band that i'm in which i mean i felt i'm fairly competent on my part so i had it down and i am actually i get so familiar with the other instrumentation even though i only play bass and guitar especially with the drums i because i'm a primarily a bass guitarist i really focus on what the drums are doing because i can't oh, do yeah, what i do unless too. the drummer knows what they're doing now um Mate, talk about complicated we were trying to learn shows if i could turn back time for a new year's eve gig we've got in bundaberg and oh yeah, is that share? Yeah, share. Yeah, yeah, that's a complicated tune, man. And it sounds yeah. pretty straightforward, but you can tell it's one of those songs that was written in a studio. Um, yeah, can, yeah. You know, you can always tell by how complicated the drumming is in terms of the changes and the way that they approach some of the changes. Yeah, the so, drumming on that song is is pretty great, right? That's yeah, the... I don't know who it is, but it's good stuff. But I can tell you, mate, we we had to drop it because the drummer just couldn't get it. Yeah, and, yeah. And I knew he wouldn't get it because he's just not a the sort of drummer that sits down and really listens to uh, listens to a song before he brings it into a rehearsal room so that we can play it together in preparation for an evening's performance. Now, I was going through that at the time when I read that quote from you. So when you said music is complicated <laughs> and the way you framed it at the end of that wonderful quote there about there being 323 different ways to play a D-flat major yeah. 7 flat 5 chord on the guitar, I thought, this <laughs> is a guy who knows what's going on. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's just like you can't, uh, you just can't get hung up on uh, on certain things. I, at least I try not to. You know, I practice so many technical things all the time, and 
I want to try to put in all those 250 ways to play D major seven sharp 11, but you kind of gotta, you kind of gotta get over that. And, uh, I think that's what was complicated for me at least for a while. Hmm. But then I, yeah, cause maybe you could hear that on old, older albums I did, but now I've found a way to sort of be more direct with it. Uh, and, and plus just focusing on guitar more helps cause I was playing guitar and banjo a lot at that point. So I haven't been playing as much banjo, so it makes it a little less complicated. But yeah, having relationships with other musicians, is, it can get, you kind of also have to let things go a little a bit, which I've been doing, you know, yeah, in rehearsal. Do. Yeah, not, <laughs> I know not, exactly what you're saying there. Exactly, if it's not exactly what you want, you, sometimes you have to move on. And uh, in the past, maybe I, I, I wasn't as much like, like that, so it was getting complicated, but you just you kind of have to let it go because you just yeah i don't know you just have to but you're 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 clearly you're an academic you're an intellect you studied oh. at the new england conservatory in um, i did in yeah boston okay so you're used to working with people who understand it at an intellectual and probably at an emotional level as well sure sure so i take it mate that working with you mate you're looking for a very specific type of musician yes yeah, I uh, I am. I'm looking for one that that can that can also uh, obviously you know technical facility, but also like be into just ridiculous yeah some humor humor aspects and uh, to be able to put a lot of work into it. This isn't the kind of gig. My my own records aren't kinds of things that you just kind of write out charts and rehearse a couple times, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, does that does that make sense? Oh, um, it makes complete sense. Yeah, I mean, it's. It would be. Um, how, how, I should ask. How long did you study at the conservatorium for? I saw at the conservatory. I was there for four years. Yeah, and uh, at that point, I was playing a lot of jazz, a lot of uh, a, a lot of straight ahead jazz, and, and and I was just starting to kind of get into uh, open improvisation and uh, you know contemporary classical music and stuff. And mm-hmm. so, but I hadn't I hadn't really separated the I hadn't. Everything was kind of still separate. Like jazz was over here, and rock was over here, and Prague is here, and experiment. It hadn't all kind of come together yet. So, you know, I wasn't doing music like I'm doing now. Even though I was, I was thinking, I was hearing it in my head, and I was, I was trying to figure out a way to put all of these things together in a blender. But I didn't. I, I, I wasn't really there yet. So it's only in the last ten years that, after school, that I was have been able to really put put all these things together hmm. uh, because sometimes I was in an interview the other day in, in, in uh, last month and I said, well, sometimes do you, you play so fast and so crazy. Do you just, do you just kind of like go off the rails like a, like a car, you know, a, a race car, you know, speeding off the track and crashing in, in, in bursting into flames. <laughs> and I said, no, I was said, I said, no, no, no. It's, it's everything I do has a lot of intent behind it. And it's, and uh is you know execute i'm trying to execute it the best i can and it's not you know it's i'm not losing control yeah yeah uh, no i agree yeah, I, 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 you know I'm not, I'm not i'm not trying to do this stuff to you know it's not me losing control and then putting it into a song it's it's very uh it's very deliberate what you're doing i can hear you had deliberties a lot yeah. of thought the thought behind it and we're trying to execute this this thing and and he said well sometimes do you just play you know, sit down and play like through jazz standards on guitar to clear it up. And I said, well, I mean, that's in there too. If you listened, I mean, it's, it's, it's all in there. And 
No, I don't have to sit down. <laughs> I don't know. It's just funny how some people. Yeah, some people, I, I think some people hear it. You know, you never know. I think if you're not a musician, it could be a struggle yeah. to connect with the wonderful music you're creating. Sure, sure. You know, there might be that. And a lot of journalists think that they're musicians, to be honest with you. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What can I say, mate? Sorry, yeah. I know, I know. It's funny, yeah. God. Yeah, so... um, We've, we talked a little bit about some of the people that I've interviewed in the past, and I mentioned Ralph yeah. Santola and Deerside. So who, who did you grow up listening to? Who were you inspired by? Well, I was well. first of all, it was Hendrix, you know, like the classic rock stuff. I mean, Hendrix and uh, Van Halen were huge influences. Van Halen still is. But those were sort of like, they were untouchable to me. I would hear that, and I would say, you know, how, how do I even, how do I play that? I, I can't even come close to that, you know. I would try and... And, but it wasn't sort of until punk rock came, came around that I started to, uh, you know, I could, I could sort of play that music a little easier than, than, uh, Van Halen and Hendrix, even though, I mean, with, with my friends too, we could sort of all kind of get together and play that stuff. So then I got into sort of the, the American punk rockers, Southern California, like the Minutemen, or huge influence, uh, those bands for Skirdu. Mm-hmm. Uh, great bands, yeah. Great bands. And then, of course, jazz was always there, too. You know, Jim Hall was a huge influence. Uh, Wes Montgomery. Let's see, who else? You know, people like that. So all of those things were were, were, were coming uh, together. I was listening to them separately. They hadn't all sort of joined in together yet. You know, I'd have the, the Hendrix and Van Halen, the classic rock, and I'd have punk rock, and then started listening to some classical music, you know, started to get into Frank Zappa, which led me to Ligeti and, uh, and uh, what's his uh, name, uh, Varese and uh, Varese and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, listening to Hendrix led me to the blues. So it was all, all these kind of boys, all these kinds of things, you know, uh, were coming in. Yeah, that's the one. The one thing about uh, something like Zappa getting into that was that was really a portal into all these other kinds of God, music. Yeah. yeah, did you get into the it, Steve Vai stuff? All these things, you know, you'd read the record covers and you know, say Muddy Waters or Burt Gansh or all Sandy Denny, and all these things would lead you to so many other things. So, uh, and I was always curious. So by yeah. the time I was in high school, by the time at the end of high school, I was listening to all kinds of stuff. But guitar wise. Uh, yeah, you know Van Halen. I still listen to that a lot. And there's so many players in New York that I like. That's it, just yeah. New York's the hotbed for guitar playing, isn't it? Really, there's a lot of guitarists here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was in when I was there. Um, you know, yeah, it was a bass guitarist I met, but I met Billy Idol's bass guitarist working in Guitar Center. Now, to a bloke from Australia, what? that's that's a spin out. You know, <laughs> amazing. Um, I just walked into Guitar Center with the, every intent. I bought an acoustic guitar down there, actually, and um, nice. a, acoustic bass guitar, I should say. They had a Martin one, and um, the lass who sold it to me actually told me that the last two or three acoustic bass guitars she'd sold, because of course they they sell bugger all of them, were all Australians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, so wow. she was used to selling acoustic bass guitars to Australians, but in between that, the guy who was looking after the electric bass guitar stuff and um, the electric guitars was Billy Idol's bass player. So had a good chat to him about all sorts of things, actually. And um, yeah, it's New York's just a phenomenal city anyway, but from a musical perspective, the birthplace of jazz, you know, where ragtime became jazz, um, sure. you just got, it's, 
there's just a vibe about the places there that makes you want to create. I, I totally understand why people want to move there and become a guitarist, but then then that poses the problem because there's too many bloody guitarists there, isn't there's there? There's too many bloody guitarists. I mean, I know it. You know, it's 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 also you know everybody is uh, you know pushing each other and and uh, yeah, it's just yeah, I wouldn't even know what to tell someone who wanted to to move to New York. I mean, yeah, you just you just kind of kind of find your own voice, you know. Uh, mm. That's kind of corny advice, but well, no, yeah. it's, it's good advice, mate. It's very good advice because you do have to stand within your own truth and you do have to find your own voice. There's no point in trying to be anybody else. Like I, I've for years, I, I never had trouble reconciling it, but I love disco music, you know. But at the same oh, time, yeah. I, I love death metal, black metal, and a lot of very sure. heavy metal types. But they never intersect. But I get a lot out of both, you know that. And because I'm a bass guitarist, I love playing disco music. I love doing oh, the yeah. octaves, and yeah. I love um, a lot of funk. And I love jazz, of course, but yeah, I tend to find that I listen to metal, but I play, I try to play funk, jazz, and disco. Yeah, I mean, I listen to like, I would listen to Deicide, but I could never play. I mean, I, I would never play that, but I think in the, the those that that kind of density or that eight that atonality or that that intent that that intensity, you know, I take from that. But. Uh, it's funny. I was reading a book on the New York, New York music scene from 1970 to 75 called "Love Goes to Buildings on Fire." It's a really great book, and great they title. they take yeah. It's, I guess it's a Talking Heads song. It's weird, but they take they take the salsa, uh, disco, uh, punk rock, and uh, loft jazz, and uh, all that was going on at the same time, and he and he goes back between all of them. But the, the disco stuff is really interesting. The disco DJs and yeah. So I've been I've been checking out some of the some of the uh, the disco stuff that that uh, have you ever have you heard this have you heard Christina you've heard of her uh, she was like a no no tell me she's like a no wave disco uh, woman from late seventies early eighties you can find her records but mm-hmm. it's really cool no and it's spelled it's Christina spelled it's just Chris, Christina like, normally yeah. like Christina Aguilera or whatever it might be yeah. No, no, it's just Christina and oh, what the? I had some, I have some of her albums somewhere. I mean, I don't know much about her. I mean, some of my friends here would would know uh, more about her, but uh, she, uh, yeah, she's amazing. I see. Yeah, I um, I really uh, one of my my uh, icons, if you like, is Bernard Edwards, who of course was the bass player in Chic. Um, his his bass playing married to Noel Rogers' guitar playing is still something that that still gives me goosebumps to this day. You know that? Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, there's so much. I mean, yeah. yeah the Chris, Christina, the, the woman was on uh, the label. Uh, I think she was on Z Records, which put out a lot of uh, put out Lydia Lunch and. Uh, Oh yeah, I've heard of her. Yeah, uh, and a lot of a lot of other stuff. Mm. Uh, but Zing. she, yeah. Anyway, she's something good. She's like no wave disco. It's, it's pretty amazing. Okay, mate. Let's let's talk about some of your yeah. other projects actually, because okay. you are a prolific artist. So um, a bit of a roll call. Uh, certainly not okay. limited to this, but this is what I could find online anyway. And I hope I don't mispronounce the first group you're associated with, but that's Ditrimal Fatale. Yeah, Dachamon Fatal. That's another record I put out this year of a of a large group. It's a it's a little bit different than Needle Driver, uh, but yeah, that that group's 
you know, work in progress. We're still, we're still figuring it out, but we managed to get an album out this year. Mm-hmm. And then there's probably the best band name I've, I've heard in ages, Sylphid Vitalizers. Oh, that's just the, the, the solo album. Yeah, yeah. That's oh, is, a, that, is that a solo? That's, that's the title of an yeah, album, it's a solo, isn't it? It's a solo album. I, I, I'm on there on banjo and guitar and drum machine. There are many, many overdubs. I think at least 10 per song, mm-hmm. layered guitars and banjos. But that's just a solo album. That's just me solo, yeah. Yeah, cool. And, and the other one is Seabrook Power Plant. That's another great name. Seabrook Power Plant, yeah. That's a band that I have with my brother on drums and Tom Blankhart on bass. And uh, we've been together. We actually played our first gig about 10 years ago. But we don't we don't play as much anymore because everybody lives in different different cities. But yeah, that was we we managed to get a couple of albums out, you know. But we never really got an out. Al- we we sort of another band. It took us a long time to get it together, and and we and we finally got it together. But we weren't able to record. We tried to record a couple of live things, but I think I'd like to record a live album with that band. Oh yeah, okay, and. These three projects can can somebody particularly because I'm here in Australia, mate. So international listeners, how how easily accessible are they if they want to listen to this stuff? Can they go to Apple Music or Spotify and check them out? Yeah, it's all on. It's all on those. It's on Apple Music, Spotify, Deezer, Google Play. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also in on my Bandcamp page. All of those. Okay. Yep. Oh, so it's all aggregated on your band pan, band yeah, page. Yeah, all Bandcamp. All these releases are on there. Uh, yeah, so they can, they can check them out there. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that was my discussion with Brandon Seabrook. Thank you so much for listening.